Welcome to Free Mind Podcast, which we're now zooming uh, from probably from here on out, uh, the new normal that we're that we're cultivating here. So, um, before we hop in with our amazing friends here, just want to remind you guys to go check out Impact 360. Uh, you know they got the online courses on the resurrection, Christian worldview, truth, and relativism, all those kinds of things. You can type in the uh, promo code Free Mind and get your 25% off. But also, just to remind you about their gap year program, I'm pretty sure they're, they're, they're in Georgia, so their governor has some sense, so they should be back um, in, in action in the fall. So if you want to get in that, in that uh, gap year program, so before you go get, uh, I guess, indoctrinated and programmed at your other universities, you can get a good foundation and a biblical worldview and kind of see through what people are telling you. And it just really prepares you for leadership and to be able to not be taken in by the spirit of the age when you when you go to your other university. You can be more you can make more of an impact and be an influencer and, and a thermostat than just kind of a thermometer in those areas. So um want to tell you about that. Also, so today we got Ryan and Bethany Bomberger in the his house. Y'all ain't even ready. Um this, they're love they're like guys. our uh, love these guys. Yeah, man, our, our superheroes. <laughs> indeed, front front liners, Ooh, man. Indeed, like, so much killing it. Like, and I will say this: I I'll, I will occasionally Ryan take your uh, posts and I'll quote them on our podcast, and I'll have to give I have to give them a warning, a trigger warning in advance every time, because <laughs> I'm like, right <laughs> in the good. Mighty way, yeah, yeah. powerful. I'm like Ryan. He ain't playing yeah. with it. He's he ain't gonna not. soften it. He ain't gonna sugarcoat. He's just gonna bring it. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just give this whole episode a trigger warning. And uh, <laughs> and, and that's actually a good. That's actually a good but thing those, because we, you know this day and age we often need to be triggered to be on, honest. You know, to and receive so, some truth. You know what I'm saying? To receive some truth. So we got to be with these uh, wonderful folks at the March for Life conference where we do think that Nerva got the coronavirus. You know what I'm saying? I'm still wondering. I'm I don't still, know. I was hit hard that week. I didn't even know. I was like, what is going on with me? Why am I dizzy in between these verses? I don't, <laughs> Got yeah. back to the hotel and I was like, something's going on, Seth. She, I'm not well. She had never, I've never seen her be that sick, by the way. Um, and she was like really it's all good. It's, down yeah. for the count. And then, so I got sick. I don't know if you guys knew this, but I got sick like a little bit after that. And it lasted for me for like a month and a half. And True. I was coughing like when we moved out here to california i was coughing so hard and so loud all night like i couldn't go 20 seconds without coughing it was intense it was crazy so then when it then like later on i was like hmm Hmm. because you know march for life (laughs) everybody was there nations like the nation you know so and so who knows and it was awesome beautiful and um but i did have a sore throat that next morning i was like What's going on? But yeah, but we're fine now. We're grateful. Yes, we're the fine. Lord healed. <laughs> and if it did happen, hopefully we got the antibodies built you know? up now. And so uh, safe to, to walk around. But yeah, you we know. we had an amazing time, though, with you guys, man. That was such a oh, powerful. So rich. Time of ministry. So, so professional. Nobody would have even known know. that you were sick. When we told folks later some of the testimonies and we shared that you weren't feeling good, people were like, that's her what? not well. <laughs> that's on. her not feeling good. So it was, through. it was anointed anyway. a blessing to have you guys. It was just such a sweet Jesus treat for us to have you worship with us and just join arms with something we're so passionate about. I know we're also passionate about the life issue, but um, when you go to the March for Life, it's a different perspective. You see it more in the sense of there's hundreds of thousands of people who are standing with you and behind you. And all of a sudden you feel this sense of, you know, just the spirit of God raising up in you and you go, that's right. You know, with us, there's more with us than with them kind of thing. You know, it's like, yeah. go for the, the word of truth is with you and behind you. Right. Well, just God with us makes us a majority. Yeah. I mean, it may just be the remnant, which is always the remnant anyway, yes. but it is, it's, it's a great reassurance that when you see people gather from across the nation and declaring that same sort of passion, but it was, man, it was such a joy to be with you guys. I was just, even in our rehearsals, I'm like, I want to sit down. I just want to listen. Oh, man. It was. And that was our first time getting to hear you sing. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, man. I was like, oh, he's so 
over here singing, and Killing I it. loved it. It was so it. powerful. It was, man. And then to hear Beth, your your book came out. Bethany yes. it was amazing, and that was like a, a celebration of that. So, what? Like tell it. us the name of that book again, if you don't mind. So, um, at the end of last year, Pro Life Kids came out, and um, we're looking. I was looking for her. Looking for her copy. Um, I might knock stuff over. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I was like, do I want to risk my life? Oh, yes. And she read from it. It was so powerful. Yeah. Well, anyway, right. Pro-Life Kids is really just a tool for any adult who wants to begin to talk about and articulate a very difficult issue. It's the life issue. It's uh, really helping to lay a foundation for uh, a culture of life in our families. And I know that um, instead of talking about the issue because there's so much fear, parents choose to just not talk about it. And yet there is an agenda out there. There is a huge push to get our kids to really think that abortion is healthcare and feminism. And they're starting at younger and younger ages with Mm -hmm. that Um, that false narrative. So my heart was like, hey, let's just not talk about reaching our kids. Let's create some tools that will help adults to bridge this gap and start talking about difficult things. And it's really just a jump off because if your kids are older and they understand more, you can go deeper into it. And if not, you need to keep it, you know, age appropriate. That's what it's there for. So, and it's adorable. I mean, I'm a little biased, but it's really (laughs) adorable. But there's nothing out there like this. And the, the whole fact is that we have to teach our kids before our broken world reaches them. Mm. And so that's why we came out with Pro-Life Kids. And it's ProLifeKids.com for anyone who wants to check it out. But we're just passionate about equipping and enabling, <laughs> enabling people to engage on these culture-shifting issues. And life is the premier issue because without it, nothing else matters. Mm. Yeah. No, that's so good. And I like what you said, too. That's why we're promoting impact is because, you know, if you're not equipping people and you're thinking, oh, they're just going into this neutral zone, you're just completely out of touch with what's going on because there is, I mean, there is a calculated deep that's been going on effort sure. to really shape the minds of people in America away from God and very much so in our education system. And so we're thankful for that book and your book as well, Ryan. I think Nerva has it here. Um, but we, man, we've been reading and it's this right here. Amazing. Amazing. Powerful, powerful stuff. Get this yeah, man. book. That book born out of just surreal experiences. Oh. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in the back of that book, I was actually standing on um, the, 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 the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And that was probably in Selma. That was probably one of the most where Bloody profound, Sunday took place yeah, for the, those that don't know. Yeah. Bloody Sunday where, you know, just a, a, a march across the bridge trying to say, hey, just because of the color of my skin, I shouldn't mm-hmm. be considered less than human. And yet there were the, just the, the violent physical attacks mm-hmm. just for people saying, I am human. I am a man. And mm-hmm. to be able to stand there was so much history. And it was actually really neat because I was standing on that bridge. I saw this interracial couple walk by uh, across the bridge and I was just thinking, a few decades ago, this would not have been possible. And it was just, and I was wondering, because they were an older couple, and I was wondering what their story was. But anyway. Mm. No, that's good. Now y'all see why we love this couple already five minutes into sharing. So yeah, here man, we go. For sure. And what I, and I, I love about you love guys, man, guys. y'all just have the, it's like Stephen uh-huh. always referenced in the book of Acts when he had the spirit and mm. wisdom on him. And I think you guys articulate it so well you live it it's a gift um you walk in it um you have the spirit of god is all over you but you you stand up under it you ain't you ain't scared uh to uh to jump in that issue so speaking of that issue i want to jump into this latest thing which is you know it's it's really it's really a difficult subject because if you've watched the video i mean your stomach just turns but it's like it's like whoo it hit it hits you it hits you because just the look of it, the vibe of it, I mean, it it, it looks like something that you, we've watched on those old, you know, civil rights movies and uh, footage, and it's just, it's heartbreaking. Um, but, you know, I knew as soon as I told Nerva the day I saw it come out, I was like, man, this there's this awful thing that happened. I don't know the details of it yet. Video looks terrible, but I know, I know what it's going to be used for. And um, I'm just worried about that a little bit with everything going on right now. So I, I was, I kept waiting for you to post something, Ryan, because I knew, 
I knew you'd eventually <laughs> kind of jump on it and, and offer kinda. us a really, you know, a biblical, um, truthful perspective on it. You wouldn't pull any punches. But I saw that you posted about, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and then Christian Post actually picked it up and made it your post into an article. I don't think you added anything to it. Is it did they just lift it from the post itself, or did you kind of fill it out in any way? It did. There's actually a, an updated version on our website, radiance.life slash arbory. Oh. E-E-R-R-Y. So I spelled that right. The difference, though, between the two is there, really just yeah. putting some context. If I remember, if I'm if I'm saying this yeah. correctly, it's really just putting some context into um, understanding when we've gone down this road before and we've treated issues this same way. How did they turn out? Right. So mm-hmm. the the bulk of the article is exactly definitely the exactly the same. But what has been, you know, what's not part of that is just that framework. Like, hey, we walked down this road before. Did it lead us to more division or reconciliation? So, right. yeah. but but the majority of the article remains. Gotcha. Remains the same. And they can check that out on Radiance Foundation. What is that uh, website again? Radiancefoundation.org. Dot org. Okay. Um, so that, that'll be the full article. Well, I've got the Christian Post one here. She's going to be pulling that up. But I just want to go through a little bit of it and ask you a few questions on it, if you don't mind. So it starts here. It says, as someone who is African-American, I was actually reluctant to write about this tragic story. In the words of Fannie Lou Hammer, quote, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, unquote, of people being so easily baited and manipulated by the blamestream media. It amazes me the select injustices that go through the news magnification process. So the first question I have on that, one, why were you reluctant to write about this story? And maybe you could, uh, we were trying to, Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, people might not know who that is. What, tell us a little bit about that and then, and then we'll go on from there. Sure. I mean, I was reluctant because I've been writing about these issues for years and years. Prior to when we even started the Radiance Foundation, I worked in inner city outreaches, very aware of a lot of the issues that still mark so many poorer communities, urban communities. And so the reluctance was, are we going to go around this merry-go-round again? And as Bethany was alluding to, have we come to a different conclusion? Have we advanced and so that was my reluctance. I'm like, here we go again. We're taking the, the singular case that the new, and it's the horrific case. First of all, his family yes. deserves justice. Absolutely. Yes. It's a horrific case. But the broader picture of it is how do we, particularly as Christians, because this article is really aimed at Christians. Okay. Are we having better conversations or are we allowing yet again, the news media that constantly color, you know, colors the narrative? all the time. And we saw it through the, the emergence of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. We never heard about white individuals killed by cops. Yet in that one year, 494 white individuals were killed by cops. 258 black individuals were killed by cops. Yes, it was disproportionate to the population, but we didn't hear about any of the 494 white people <laughs> killed by cops. And so we get this one-sided narrative, and this is kind of how I felt. Like, here we, here we go again. And, and granted, it's a horrific killing. I'm not denying any of that. But then, you know, for Fannie Lou Hamer, who was, you know, anti-poverty and voting rights activist, she was tired of going through the same things over and over again. And so in a way, I was like, here we go again. Are we going to have a different outcome? So that's, that was kind of my, my reluctance here. Can you talk maybe a little bit more about the, you said, the select injustices that go through the news magnification process? I think... Most of us, probably people listening to this are aware of that. Like we talk about the fake news, how they spin things. But maybe for those who are unaware of what goes into what they pick to show on the news. And and you mentioned that just how they are really careful to do that. Maybe say a little bit more about that. We learned about fake news firsthand when we launched our first ad campaign dealing with abortions, disproportionate impact in the black community. We learned how they completely suppress entire interviews. I mean, NPR was a perfect example where they interviewed me about our campaign, about launching the 60 billboard campaigns. It was our too many campaign. And then in the final show, which was the show, all things considered, they completely omitted me. The person who designed the campaign, the, you know, they didn't talk about our organization who launched the campaign. And so we realized, wow, they are not in the business of relaying truth. Mm. And so I've been following, you know, 
these issues for a long time and following the emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement, which in some ways it did highlight some things that should be highlighted and we need to have constructive conversations, but we can't have the world leading these conversations. Mm -hmm. If we are Christians, we cannot be embracing a secular worldview because it's always going to lead us to the wrong conclusion. Mm -hmm. It's always predicated on the wrong thing. So the news mag magnification process, we, we saw, we continue to see this. They will, they will pick and choose, for instance, when they identify race in a story. Yet I've written numerous times about, for instance, in Virginia Beach, where there were mobs of teens who rioted, mobs of teens who go in and rob stores, mobs of teens who go into fairs, and they're not identifying the race of those mobs of teens, yet when you look at the videos, it's very clear what the race is. And so news picks and chooses when they will identify race. And they do that very specifically, not to bring about healing, a reconciliation, but to bring about the differences and that division and as if they want to, to provoke an even wider chasm between us. And that's, that's my anger with mainstream media. And that's the world being the world. Right. And that's why as Christians living in this world, what are we bringing to the table that's not going to end up on a divisive note? Because the heart of God is unity and true reconciliation. Exactly. And so when we have these very difficult conversations and we hear what other people are saying, where are we ending? Mm. You know, I, I heard a lot. We, we were listening in on different panels and things. Um, we heard a lot about where people's emotions were when they jumped off, you know, like at the beginning or when they first heard, like at the, but where were they at the end? And I think that's the, that's really what Ryan's heart was in this too. And what we're our heart together is we can talk about this, but if we end up at the same place that the news ended up, then we're not who we're supposed to be. Wow. And we are, we're, we're just not, um, we're, we're using, we use different standards by which to weigh everything. So if we are coming out on the same page, then we need to look a little bit harder at ourselves in the word of God. Oh, that's so good. I love that. Do you find that in increasing measures, we are talking about it. Are the church, is the church coming together to discuss these issues? And are we becoming more aware of the world's narrative? Do you feel like, are you hopeful? Or are you kind of like, um, we need to do better? I'm grateful for the churches that are. Yes. I feel like over the years as we've, we've um, engaged, there's, there's more pastors that are feeling more uh, brave okay. to speak up and speak out. But when you look at those numbers versus the majority, sure. I don't know if there's more appeasement or if there's, because I just really believe that we would see more racial reconciliation if we had across the board the types of conversations that we're begging the church to have. Right, which has to be, it's, it's the reality is that there are more conversations, absolutely, yeah. and we yeah. need to have conversations, but it's more important about what those conversations are about and where they're going. See, if they're not predicated on, you know, like Act 17, if we're not declaring that we are one human race, then we're always going to come to the wrong conclusion. We're always going to go to the wrong directives. And that's part of my problem with some of these conversations is because they are pulling in a destructive worldview in order to talk about a current event, in order to talk about a current injustice. And they're using that worldview then to, well, that's what, like I said in my article, you can't use racism to fight racism. You can't use prejudice to fight prejudice. You can't do it. But yet some of these church conversations go into these crazy generalizations, these crazy accusations and separate people into different groups by the hue of our skin. So those are the kinds of conversations that I'm wary of. Um, and I think as parents, because here we have biracial children. We have children that come, you know, we have adopted. We have four kiddos, for those who don't know. We have two biological. We have two that are adopted. And, okay, I whittle it down to this. Truth is truth regardless of situation. So if I'm speaking to my biracial children and I'm giving them truth, it needs to be able to stand up in their lives. For instance, if we are doing, Ryan just mentioned sort of separating, instead of saying, hi, first and foremost, we're the body of Christ. You might be the head, I might be the feet, but instead it turns into you're part of the, 
you know, black body of Christ right. or, and the white body of Christ, and we're one against the other, then how does that truth translate to my biracial children that will translate to an eternity of internal conflict? And that's not the power and presence of God. He's not a God that perpetuates internal conflict. Right. He's the God that perpetuates reconciliation. So we have no choice but to go back to the word of God and to see that there's one man and one woman, and they were the beginning of the human race. And we have people groups, and we have cultures, and we have injustices within those situations. But at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, we are of one blood. And if I teach my children that you are first and foremost brothers and sisters in Christ, then guess what? That's a truth that will transcend every single situation. Right. It won't be enough to handle one situation, but not enough to handle another situation. It will equip them to be warriors that are armed with truth, regardless if they're here, if they're abroad, if they're in certain communities. Um, it will give them this foundation. And that's, that's my heart. That's where I'm coming from. And I just think that as Christians, that's the Bible's spot that it starts at. That's good. So, so LeBron James tweeted, you know, right after the event, he said, he said, we are, and by we are, he mean, means black people. We are literally hunted every day, every time we step foot outside the comfort of our homes. Um, thoughts on that ryan is that is that true what do you think about that tweet completely untrue to say that every black person every time we step outside of our homes we're lit and he said we're literally hunted down no we're not literally hunted down i mean unless you want to include some of the the black on black violence unless you want to include i mean you're talking about a fringe percentage and they're all tragic I mean, I mourn the loss, and we should mourn the loss of those creating the image of God, which is every human being uh, being destroyed in that manner. But for him to say something like that, I mean, this is a guy who has tens of millions of followers, lots of young people. And to create this false narrative that somehow you as a black person, me particularly as a, as a black man, even a biracial black and white, that when I step outside of my home, I have to fear. Right there, we should stop. Because God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. He does not give us a spirit of fear. Yet, this is part of the narrative I'm hearing from churches. When I would listen to some of these conversations, all I heard from a number of pastors who are sitting on these panels talking about their fear, their fear, their fear. And I'm like, that's not of God. Mm -hmm. That tweet from Le LeBron James, for me, doesn't, doesn't help bring any clarity to the situation. It doesn't help bring any kind of compassion to the situation because immediately he's saying, you are at fault. You are, and who do you, who do you think he's talking about hunting him down? Yeah, I mean, well, this okay. is the kind of thing that's, that's reinforced. So when I see tweets like that and to see the, the number of shares, mm. it breaks my heart because this is not the reality that we're in. We can deal with the injustice of, of uh, Ahmad Arbery's death and to talk about it as an injustice but what we don't need is all this distortion because it doesn't help bring about any kind of healing or harmony so how there are things that are no there are things that are going to there are there are times that folks walk out of their house or they're in situations and they face fear Sure. So I think even in this conversation, it's not saying we're not going to face fear. There aren't situations and times that that's what we're going to face, but what do we do with it? You know, and, and to, to truncate that conversation by saying we're walking outside and we're fearful because we're being hunted down is putting a period where there should be a comma because there's more to that. There's more to that. Well, what does God call us to do in those situations? Anyway, right, but, it, but it's important to have the, the statistical context right. to understand how, how they fear. That's, that's, that's part of it. I'm not saying that there are, there are people who live in dangerous communities. Right. There's no denial of that. But that's not what this is talking about. This yeah. is really trying to say, hey, America, it's 2020. It's, it might as well just be 1960. And that's the narrative mm -hmm. that, uh, that I'm rejecting. That doesn't help talk about what is actually happening.
so how do you help counsel, you know, in your church, for instance, you have young people of, of different ethnicities, um, you know, they're kind of, they've grown up in this cultural milieu. So that just, it sounds so true and it sounds like something we can get on board with. How do you help give them uh, a, st- a statistical context, um, that keeps them like, like you said, I like the distinction you made. We can deal with that injustice without adopting the narrative that LeBron James here is promoting. How do you keep them from jumping to that? Cause it seems like, like these days it's an automatic jump. Every time it happens, it, it just, mm, switches right over. Well, it, it is. I mean, that's part of why, partly why I brought up these statistics with the black lives matter. The Washington post keeps this database of people who are killed by, you know, their race and so they've been keeping this up for a few years. I'm not sure if they have the most, the latest year in 2019, but the numbers continue to decline. But I think that's really helpful. When I spoke at George um, Washington University, it was to all African-American and Hispanic students. And I was asking them how many, you know, for instance, how many black males do you think are you know, in prison today? Because we're talking about incarceration. What percentage of black males 18 and older are in prison? And they would say things like, 83%, 92%, 93%. I said, you think, you think 93% of young black, ma- of, of black males 18 and older are in prison today? I said, it's less than 3%. They're like, no, no, no way. So I bring up the slide from the Department of Justice and the Bureau of Prisons, and I show them, here are the statistics. They couldn't even believe that. And so part of it, I don't know, you can't always get everything across in just stats and facts. I understand that. Um, because these are deeply emotional issues. These are deeply spiritual issues. But that helped to really raise their awareness. And so part of this is talking to them about, let's talk about what is. But that's also part of the the initial thing. Let's talk. But let's talk in this kind of environment where, for me, I want to dispel this whole thing that it's me versus you, that it's us versus them. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the realities of some of these numbers. And so part of that, that was, that was a really great conversation there. I had some adults in the room who didn't like some of what I was saying. And then I had some other adults who did. But it was really remarkable to hear some of the teens' responses afterward because they don't ever get that kind of presentation. Mm-hmm. They don't get the context and the clarity. They get the emotion. Mm-hmm. And then they feel that punch in the gut all the time because it's just emotion after emotion. And as Christians, we have to understand that's part of the flesh. We cannot be ruled simply by that. Of course, we're moved to compassion, and we need to be moved toward compassion for that. But if we don't know the facts, then we shouldn't be acting. And, you know, I think part of the even broader worldview you talked about earlier behind LeBron James' tweet is something you know you've dealt with before called critical race theory but one of the one of the fruits of critical race theory is that the racism in America has never changed and so the uh, the story here is it's we are a deeply racist country um, in the DNA it's in the DNA and it, what it does is it changes forms so like you said we are just as the the country is just as racist now as it was in 1960 uh, dur- or during the Jim Crow era it's just changed forms now it's covert we hide it better um, and then also what gets attached to that in the church is evangelicals are giving cover to that racism by voting the ways they vote and by highlighting the things they highlight as injustice, pro-life movement being usually the primary example. How do you, um, how do you deal with that broader worldview issue of, you know, is, is, is that a, to you a justifiable claim that racism is the same now as it was in the Jim Crow era? And if not, why not? There's so much to say. First of all, thank God it is not the same as it was during the civil rights era or prior to that. We would not be married. Uh, you guys would not be married. We wouldn't there. be sitting here right now. We wouldn't be sitting here. Loving versus Virginia. That was the landmark case that allowed interracial marriage. Where I mean, was that? That was, I think, 67. 60 something. That was 1967. Yeah. So there's so much that's changed. In fact, this reminds me when I spoke at the University of Louisville. And I had these reproductive justice. These are radically pro-abortion activists. And they were telling me, you know, racism it, it is, you know, all these systemic structures. There's, there's never been anything like this before in America. And I'm like, but hold on a second. So what was more, or 
you know, codified racism. And what was more enforced than racism during the 60s? Where, you know, the voter, voter suppression, where you couldn't, you know, to ride in the back of the bus. And so some of these activists kept saying, America's more racist today. I said, so did you think that on, on your way here on the back of the bus? Mm. Because you didn't have to go on the back of the bus. Look around this room. And the room was filled with white, black, and every hue in between. Like, you wouldn't even be able to be in this auditorium right now. So for all these people who try to claim that there's been no progress, you're denying the obvious. There's been a lot of progress. <clears throat> the problem is they don't see racism as something separate from sin often. Mm. And as long as humankind exists, the depravity of humankind will always exist. And it manifests itself in so many different ways. But the, the other manifestation beyond racism is also, I mean, Scripture calls us not to slander causes not to lie and so when people are creating this false sort of narrative and they're actually helping to determine the behaviors and the reactions of others and causing all these negative outcomes well that's sinful too and so here we are in a, in a culture where we have progressed i mean come on look at it from from entertainment to the political side of things to the professional side of things look at look at the ceos and is there room for improvement of course as long as humankind exists, there will always be room for improvement in every area. But, I mean, we just came out of an administration led by a biracial president. I'm putting that in quotes because we know we just don't believe that there's any more than one race. But you had not just that, but the, the, the attorney general, Eric Holder. You had the head of the, the Department of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson. I mean, so many black individuals in, in critical positions our country has changed drastically. But the deeper question is, has the soul and the spirit of our country changed? Mm. And when you hear some of these conversations from churches, my question is, I have they changed? Mm. Because in the end, we're still embracing a lie. So yes, we may be, we may have progressed from the, the, the outward racist behaviors, but we're still promoting a lie of disunity. Is that better? Wow. No, that's good. That's good. And I just maybe have a couple more questions on this topic and and you feel free to jump in if you got anything, babe. But, um, you know, you talked about in the article, you kind of along the lines of what you were just saying, you wrapped it up. You said it is a sin problem, not merely a skin problem. You can change all of the systematic structures. You could, yeah, all you want. But if the soul of the person doesn't have the right framework, that brokenness will manifest itself into the destructive behaviors and unjust acts that can mark all of us, white, black, and every hue in between. Uh, One of the responses that kind of We'll come to that as well. You're saying you don't want to change systemic structures when it comes to racism, that we want to change a heart one at a time. Why don't you apply that same reasoning to the pro-life issue? Why, why should you be an activist for that? How would you respond to that type of pushback? Well, I'm not saying, first of all, we have to actually identify what those structures are. Part of, you know, when speaking to these college campuses, I love that they use all these buzzwords, and then I'll ask them, well, what are the structures that need to change? I mean, when you look at, okay, the prison population, they'll go back to that. They talk about the incarceration rates being higher among African Americans, but yet they don't acknowledge that they, those percentages have been dropping significantly over the past several decades. And so it's not even, it, it's like they, they know to say this. It's kind of like a bumper sticker. They have the saying, but once you peel off the bumper sticker, there's nothing underneath. Mm-hmm. There's nothing deeper to that. So my question first is, well, what are these systemic structures that need to be changed? Yes, there is racial injustice, but let's look at it where it is instead of this, this highly exaggerated sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, that happens all the time. And that's why I have a problem. You know, I spoke at a conference in Dallas, and I was the only one on the panel apparently had the, this perspective, but it was employing critical the, – the other panelists were employing critical race theory. And so when you break it down into you because of your hue, you're in this group, and you because of your hue, you're in this group, how is that a godly thing? Because you're saying you are the oppressors and you're the victims. So I guess my wife fits into the oppressor group. I mean, this is what I asked the the crowd of 2,000 plus there. I said, so which one of you would be willing to say you all belong in this group as the oppressors and you all belong in this group as the victims? Who here would want to do that? Got a little quiet there. 
because this is what's happening though with these conversations because if if we're not coming from if we're not starting from a godly viewpoint we're going to start from which is what's happening a worldly viewpoint and we and we label things like systemic racism and yet you know i think about the reproductive justice crew that you were just talking about and where is where what is an area that we're actually seeing systemic racism blatantly the abortion industry who's just like wiping out i mean the black community sometimes it's five times more abortions than any other community and yet that bumper sticker doesn't apply over there because that bumper sticker for that spot is reproductive justice so we're just wrapping these different issues up in these short little um quips that aren't really even getting to the bottom of it and so i think what God's heart is for us too is to seek the wisdom and the revelation and to look at these things not just for face value and, and not just turn on the TV and listen to the news and call that law. But it's like as we spend time with the Father, as we just press into Him and become more like who He is, God, give us the eyes to see with your heart because then we can start peeling these, you know, these, the, the, the skins of the onions start coming off layer by layer. And, and none of this is an easy conversation. There's no elevator speech that will take us from this to this truth. These things have, all of us have different, um, life experiences we've been born into different things we've been raised in different communities and so there's you know a lot of this it's not just this quick elevator speech that'll make it uh something that it isn't but when you talk about systemic racism but then you overlook it in areas where it's it's so embedded it's, mm. it's frightening let me get can I give you one other example yeah. And for me, this is kind of a humorous example. But for instance, talk about the systemic racism of sports. So going back to LeBron James, where he compared NBA players to being like slaves on a plantation, that he felt basically like the owners were the slave masters. I'm thinking, I want to be on that plantation, okay? Pay <laughs> me tens of millions of dollars, I will be on that plantation. Oh, that's hilarious. It's the kind of thing that where things get so bizarrely distorted Mm. Uh, LeBron James, you're not a slave. I mean, and you're talking about who dominates some the of these sports. And you know, then, then the people will say, well, it's the ownership, it's the ownership. Look, when we can't even identify red as red and blue as blue, yeah. that's part of the problem. Yeah. And so is there racial injustice? I'm not denying that. But when we're when everything is filtered, like I'm wearing glasses right now, but when we're filtering everything through the broken lens of race, we're not gonna see what truly is. Yeah. And as Christians, we have the responsibility to see things as they are because we have the light of truth. Amen. And we need to be shining that. Amen. That's good, Ryan. And you know, here's what when when we were dialoguing about it initially, you might remember me saying this. I would I want to put this before you and see what you think of it. But you know, we had a lot of friends talking about the systemic injustice in the in this particular case, the Ahmad Arbery case. And I, I said, I told Nerva, I said, you know, there might be. I don't I don't know. I would want to know exactly what they mean by that in this case. So, for instance, it looks like it was definitely an injustice. Like these guys. It, to all appearances, it looks like they killed this guy with no legal or no moral um, justification for it. Uh, it also looks like it got swept under the rug um, by public officials, at least on you know appearances. But let's say all that happened. I'm still not sure because the leap was often among friends as systemic injustice, therefore vote Democrat in 2020, especially at presidential election. So that's the leap. And so I'm saying I'm not sure how that even connects with whatever particular injustice there is involved in in the law itself that created the circumstances where that happened or caused that to happen. So I'd first want to ask, like, what are the laws involved that we need to change? Right. And then who are the people involved that you would vote in office to change those laws? And then those people, what are the negatives that cause other injustices and how do they weigh out in comparison to each other? That would be kind of, uh, to me, that would be a worthy conversation to have within the church. Do you think so? And, and what would be your response to that way of thinking through the issue? 
Those are great questions. I want to start with this, though, because this whole issue is always invoking the past, right? So when these situations happen, it's always the past of slavery. It's white. Hold on. I'm going to grab this for just a second. Yep. I don't recommend this book. We don't. We don't recommend this book. I do not recommend this book. But it's post-traumatic slave syndrome. And what it talks about is basically black people are our impact. We have this PTSD. And we actually got that because I had seen somebody in a church that was going to do um, like a, not like a Sunday school, but like do a book, a book study on it. So I was like, oh, let me grab this and, and, and get to the bottom of it. But this, what this does, and this is what happens in all these conversations, and history is a, is, is a great thing. I think we need to have a, a great understanding of it. But the same people who are always invoking the history don't, because you brought up Democrats, so I'm going to say this. <laughs> the same people who don't want to talk about the history of the Democrat Party, which was the party of slavery, which is the party of Jim Crow, the party of everything separate but equal, the party of voter suppression. So you want to talk about the racial injustice, the Democrat Party uh, is the party of racial injustice. Mm-hmm. So when people want to talk about history, I'm like, let, well, let's have a, an understanding of how we've arrived at this place and then also put it in, in this, this um, kind of put it in this context. We are talking about a deeply spiritual thing. So the questions that you raise are, are excellent about the laws, like for instance, common ground laws, right? Yeah. You can have common ground mm-hmm. laws and you have white people who agree with them. You have black people who agree with them. You have people with all different hues agree with some of these laws. Then you're talking about laws where, you know, gun possession, gun ownership and concealed carry and things of that nature. There are a lot of great questions that go into this. But as I talked about in my article, there, it's like we, we forget the spiritual aspect. There is a heart of darkness that leads people mm-hmm. to sin on yeah. every level. So they, the McMichaels apparently felt justified to go grab their guns because, you know, if someone walked on a construction site and walked away with something, a hammer, apparently he got a drink at the construction site. That oh, seems yeah. to be the latest news. That's a crime. But what led the, those, the McMichaels to feel like they had to take such extreme measures? Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of questions that we should be asking um, as far as from a legal standpoint. But for people to make that huge jump from, wait, see, the Democrats are the ones, they're always the ones to fight for racial justice. No, no, I'm sorry. It actually was the Republican Party um, who passed the Reconstruction Amendments, 13, 14, 15th Amendments. They, they abolished slavery. They gave citizenship to people of my complexion and gave us the right to vote, at least men, the right to vote. And then women were able to vote in the 19th Amendment. But if we want to talk about what we should do politically, we have to first understand what we should do as Christians. How should we look at these situations? Because I'm sorry, we live in a day and age with two political parties with radically different party platforms. How are you reconciling your faith with a party that mm-hmm. is denying the very nature of God, that booed guide in their own convention. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, that's denying that we're made male and female, that's denying the very nature of our humanity, that denies that we're created in the image of God and that image can be destroyed at any point, even partially birthed. Mm-hmm. So for me, there are so many questions that go along with that, but we have to ask ourselves the questions that bring context and clarity. And yeah. those questions are great questions. And I worked after working in the inner cities and living there and being part of the school systems there. Um, my question is what Democrat run city <laughs> is seeing an uplift out of poverty and uplift out of homicidal numbers. You know, I worked in a city that my students had to be, they were on curfew by 8 PM in, in, in like in one month's time, I remember it was January and it was like mid January and they're already 22 homicides, you know, on, and, and so our kids had to go into, you know, 8 PM curfew. But the point is that if you understand where somebody's heart is and you understand that platform, and we understand from a Christian perspective, from a spiritual perspective, that this is denying what God is saying, this is what I have created for you. And then you fast forward to see how is this actually fleshing out on the streets right. of those cities that are currently run by those that are holding that perspective. At the end of the day, as a Christian, you got to sit down and be like, something's not adding up. Not that Republicans are, are, 
are the answer either, but I'm just saying platform wise, platform wise, and how those ideologies and those platform pieces trickle down to the streets and the people and real life scenarios. And so no matter which way you look at it, it's, it's ugly. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say no political party is our salvation. Nope. We have a savior. Yeah. doesn't have a D, an R, or an I next to yes. his name. So I, I don't want to emphasize that there is, a, right. there is salvation with a particular political party. But we as Christians, I think, have been immensely lazy in Ooh. how we're applying our faith Ooh. when it comes to the specific aspect of our lives. And, mm-hmm. and we have to do better. Mm. Wow. Well, let the church say amen. You know, I love that. Y'all just reiterating the truth that in, in Christ, there's true freedom, true liberation, true power to overcome anything that has you bound, any chains, whether it be mental thoughts, indoctrination, real sin, cultural things, past issues. We are overcomers in Christ and we don't look to solely, we, we don't look to systems and things to 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 bring it to us we have it in us and then we go make change and then we we're able to see good for good evil for evil lies for lies truth for truth and i just love that i love that y'all are just reminding people of that and you know it's gonna it's a it's a it's a long haul. It's not going to be just one conversation. But every time y'all go out and just spread the message, whether it be the gospel and then add a few statistics, people are, I, I believe that there are people that will consider that. You know, I've had conversations with friends and like, well, actually, this is what happened. Well, it doesn't even, it doesn't even touch the, begin to kind of even put a, a fingerprint on the emotional indoctrination that's been going on. And we're not able to even think unfiltered or, or critically, you know, it's just a tough, but not impossible um, thing to overcome in, in, in our generation. But uh, because yeah. we are, we're, we're more than overcomers. He says, come on, more than conquerors. And when we understand, like you're saying that these battles are, going to be fought and won because we're willing to take different front lines. And that means that we understand the need for the knowledge, the need for the education. And we also understand the need for the prayer because the veil will not fall unless there's a spiritual war that's won. But once that veil begins to fall, we need to be ready with the feast of truth to say, now get back that sustenance and where the enemy took from you, we're going to replenish. But instead of replenishing with lies, we replenish with truth. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, we are, sometimes we're lazy Christians. Sometimes we're just sloppy about it. And it's okay because there's times in our lives we didn't know things. There's still things we don't know. You know, we started running this organization. We were in our 30s and like, how are we just scratching the surface of of certain issues? Mm -hmm. We've been Christians all our life. You know, so there's no condemnation, but God created for us to be generational curse breakers, mm. which means that what we're leaving behind isn't what we walked into life with. And I think that's powerful. Somebody, I don't even know who said it. I've looked it up because it's stuck in my heart. I read this somewhere. It said, it ran in your family till it ran into you. Mm-hmm. And we were, we have been anointed to see those generational curses fall and as an army of Christ that is rising up to take, to take land and to be kingdom conquerors, we have to go into this with um, the ability to switch up perspectives and see the world that way. Come on. Transformation. That's good. That's so So good. good. Um, Powerful. Powerful. So, you know, just bringing it back to the, the conversation within the church. Yeah. It sounds like, Ryan, what you, what you guys are saying is, yeah, there's work to be done um, in the, with the racial issue. Mostly, it, you know, getting a biblical worldview about race, that we are one race. And then maybe secondarily, looking at the issues, is there systemic and how would we address that? But also understanding the broader context of which, which policy platforms are really doing that? And then what is the greatest threat right now to justice? And it seems to me that 
when you have a party, unfortunately, like the Democratic Party that has wedded themselves to such an, a progressive anti-biblical view that, to the place where you don't have a grounding for human dignity, it becomes increasingly difficult to give a, any kind of picture of justice for anybody outside of just the wielding of a political tool couched in this Marxist idea that's driving power. And that, that to me, like Bethany, you were saying the, the big idea is like, we need to, we need to see the big ideas here and understand what the greatest threat is. And, and I think in the church culture right now, we're in danger of adopting a cure that's worse than the, the illness. And, um, and I think, um, and the way this stuff gets used as narratives is what you're trying to deny. You're not trying to deny that it was horrific or terrible and that we might even need to be involved and do something about it. But what you are trying to deny is the use, the misuse by the media and by political parties to drive an agenda that's actually going to make justice almost impossible in this nation and for the world really. And so how, um, what what are maybe a couple resources you would recommend? You said Christians we do a bad job at civics. Um, what are what are what are a couple resources so we can get a little maybe a little less CNN, a little less MSNBC, and and maybe read a couple books this summer while we're on the shelter in. Well, yes, I mean first we need to as Americans. Okay, not equal. That's a good book. Yes, I do recommend that. Uh, uh, I recommend that, but I, I recommend just even understanding Civics 101. People don't even understand some of the basics of how our government works, how our representative republic works. People don't understand how you know laws get passed, things of that nature. I think that's crucial. Please read the platform of each political party. Okay. Please don't go to vote unless you've read the political platform. And then as you go through the platform, highlight the things and say, can I reconcile this with my Christian faith? Ask yourself that question. And I, I think we need to arrive at those things. Uh, some resources, you know, there's some pastors who I actually uh, really love, like Tony Evans, yeah. who, who speaks so openly yeah. about this issue. Yeah. Um, Bauckham. I mean, yeah, he is, yeah. oh my gosh, <laughs> mm-hmm. just yeah. B-O-D-D-I-E. Just look yeah. him up on, on YouTube and you get such a, biblically sound, mm-hmm. biblically grounded perspective on this issue. Here, he's a black father who's adopted children. His, we heard him at a pregnancy center once years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to know who this man is. Yeah, but those are actually two great resources. I, and I love when you know, Priscilla uh, Schreier says, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not a black woman. I'm not a black Christian. I am a Christian. If we black. start, root, I mean, obviously she is a black right, woman. Right. But she's saying my identity is first and foremost yeah. Christian. When we when we do that, yeah. because we live in a culture now that wants to constantly add qualifiers. For instance, gay Christian. Mm-hmm. First of all, Christian needs no qualifier whatsoever. And when you do that, it enables you to have a narrative that is different than scripture. Ooh. And when we talk about how do we get to a place where we're, we're having different outcomes, we I think we follow the example of South Carolina. The church in Charleston, you remember when Dylan Roof, the mentally ill man who went in and murdered nine people? Yeah. The fact that family members, the ones who were actually directly impacted by, by his massacre, they forgave him. Yeah. They forgave him. And yet we're having these conversations sometimes in these church conversations where we're not even directly or even remotely indirectly impacted. And we're mourning and we're grieving, but we're not moving past that stage. These people walk, they, they told him, I forgive you. One of the people said, you know, I don't have room for this. There's no time for hating. I need to forgive. If we don't forgive, we can never see that true presence of God take over the place. Mm. We need healing in places. Absolutely. We need, and this, this is from white folk and black folk, and all kinds, all kinds of different cultures in there where we need to have healing. There are so many misconceptions and misperceptions. We're not willing to talk about some of these things, but man, if we don't talk about it from from a God perspective and we don't have this heart of forgiveness, we will never transform in advance. And we'll have the same conversation the next time and Mm. justice happens. There's also another great book, One Blood, One Race. Mm -hmm. And 
That's that that I'm reading that with my kids. It's Ken, Ken Ham. Ham, but it's yeah. Ken Ham and somebody else. So I wanted to see the other Charles Ware. I believe. Yeah, yeah, Charles Ware. You're right. Um, which is a great biblical perspective on the race issues, mm-hmm. and um, they even have a kids book that goes along with it. And so we can start breaking open those conversations. It's important for us to know what God says about these things, but it's also important for us. I know we're parents. And so that's where my perspective often ends up, but it's okay for us to see and for our children to see that we're learning as we're going to, and that, you know, the best teachers are those that are lifelong students. Like we're still learning. We're still figuring this out. We're still looking and trying to, you know, our kids are reading case for Christ. There's a kid's version of it. I I never read all that when I was little, but I'm like, Hey, we're learning as we're going so that we can be better people, regardless of age or even our stage in life. And so it's powerful for, uh, I don't know. I just think it's powerful for humans to realize that we're in this journey and to not stop looking and to not stop reading and to not stop going after truth. It multiplies in your heart. Because when you find truth, it like it multiplies, and then when you discover these revelations of God, it makes you hungry for more. Right. And, and so none of us, none of us have arrived. Not even the people that we're suggesting. Not even our biggest, you know, our biggest heroes in life have arrived. We're all on this journey. Right. And it's not my truth. It's not her <laughs> truth or truth, our truth. It's just the, the truth, truth. Yeah. and it's attainable. It's yeah. knowable. Yeah. And this is why we have to try to trigger inside of people this desire to want to know. To be intentional. Yes, yeah. to know the truth. Go after it. Y- y'all making too much sense up in here now. Y'all talking too much <laughs> biblical power. I love it. <laughs> Come on. So good. I'm stirred. I'm stirred. What are your so thoughts, Bay? I know. So, Nerva, yeah. you know, I don't know if y'all know, she went to Fisk back in the day. She's a Fisk guy. Fisk University, I love it. And you know, you've had your you've had your times of wrestling through these issues and oh, different yeah. things. Like anything you want to add to this as we are wrapping it up? Oh, I mean, they wrapped it up. What can I say? <laughs> um, just I love. I'm just gonna echo what Bethany just said. We we're learners to be a follower. of Christ means you apprentice yourself to his teachings and his sayings and they are life transforming. And and it's like, if you, um, if you taste and see how powerful truth can be, you will know the truth and it'll make you free. If you continue in my word, Jesus says, John eight thirty two. if you continue in my words, you are truly my disciples and the truth will make you free. And it's like, I remember just diving into the truth of God where I tried to find my identity and my purpose and here, here and there relationships, positions and all these platform things. And not until I encountered Jesus Christ was I empowered to receive his love, receive his forgiveness, receive the power to overcome all of my stuff, all of my junk, and to look at a, a, a human person and recognize, you know, like C.S. Lewis says, you never meet just a mere mortal. We will all a thousand years from now be somewhere, either together or somewhere else that we don't, I don't think we want to be, but that we, we, we become too cold hearted. And so we look at people and we're just able to just kind of walk past and not even consider, you know, that this, this is a person with a story, with, with, a, with a struggle, with something they're trying to, everyone wants to matter. And so I think like this beautiful couple here is saying, if we can just get back to the truth, the biblical truth of why we're here, how can we live together in unity and love according to knowledge? I think we do hold the answers. Let's start digging in. Let's start learning and continue to just be lifelong students of God's wisdom. And I think I think I read in this book today, I can't remember, the paragraph said something like being able to identify evil and good is the first step to making change. Mm. Being able to recognize it. It's the first step to making change, but That's good, babe. Yeah. Um that's really good. So good. Amen from us. Amen. From the Amen. East Coast. I know. I'm just um, 
Well, so, and you guys just started your podcast, so we'll try to link that in the show notes um, for them. I'm really excited. I can't wait to dig in this this week on that. Um, Is there any way, if people are hearing you guys today, I know that um, all these events canceling, we're in the shelter in, and for us, like people like us that travel, you know, that can can hit us financially, is there a way people can financially support you guys, um, your ministry? What would that just be radianceFoundation.org in a tab there? Or what's the yep, best way? Yeah, there's to... the donate tab. Yes. It's the easiest way to do it. It's the easiest way. Okay. Donate and so, online. And so if you're listening to this and you love, you know, you've heard Ryan on the podcast before and now Ryan and Bethany, you believe in their ministry, man, we ask you to please go and support them and just, man, give lavishly and uh, we're going to, we're going to give as well. So, um, and if you, if you're listening, you know, don't forget to give us a rating and give them a rating too on their podcast, five star. Uh, If you don't want to give us five star, don't give us a rating. Just kidding. But um, (laughs) choose kindness. (laughs) <laughs> Choose generosity. Right? But it helps the podcast get seen. Uh, also, we're still rolling on Patreon, so you can uh, you can click that below as well. We thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll uh, connect with us next time.